I attended high school in Edmonton, Alberta. There were approximately 2,500 students in this not-so-small school. And honestly, I felt like I was just a tiny drop in a vast ocean of humanity, especially as a first-year student, as a freshman. And furthermore, the Board of Education in Alberta was experimenting at the time. This was the early 70s. And they were experimenting with what they called open campuses. And at our school, attendance was no longer compulsory. It was voluntary. The teachers didn't take attendance. And there was lots of openness in our campus. Well, it was a disaster. I went to class, my first uh, English, grade 10 English class, I went the first day and the last day and not in between. And I still passed. Then I got into seminary and had to begin parsing verbs and understanding what adverbs were and adjectives were and learning another language. I didn't even know English, thanks to the experiment. Well, it soon went back to the way it was. And as I looked at Jonah chapter 2 this week, I realized that Jonah also had a rather unusual educational experience. He was enrolled in the School of Hard Knocks at Fish University. We left Jonah last week uh, after he'd been thrown overboard, remember? And swallowed up by this great big fish. Well, while he's bouncing around in the belly of the fish in the School of Hard Knocks, he teaches us some very important lessons. The first of which is that calamity mm -hmm, redirects our focus. Calamity redirects our focus. In chapter 1, Jonah was talking about God, and prayer was the last thing on his mind. He was running away from the Lord, remember? So he, he's not praying, he's not having his morning quiet time, or anything. He wanted nothing to do with God, really, and prayer was the last thing on his mind. But here we have, we find him now in chapter 2, bouncing around inside the belly of this great fish. And what happens? Why, he prays. Jonah prayed to the Lord his God from the belly of the fish, saying to the Lord, he's not just talking about God now, he's talking directly to the Lord. I called out to the Lord out of my distress. He answered me out of the belly of Sheol. I cried, and you, Lord, you heard my voice. Sheol refers to the realm of the dead. And he uses the term figuratively here to describe his near-death experience. I mean, he thought he was a goner. He thought he was finished. And we see that Jonah's calamity actually redirects his attention back to God. Suffering and sorrow, crisis and calamity, disease and death, they all have one thing in common. They all have the power to point us back to God. In the long, dark tunnel of suffering, or when a marriage partner who promised to stay for better, for worse, breaks that vow, or when a long, sought-after dream goes up in smoke, it's precisely at these crossroads in life that God lays claim. Right here is where God wants us to trust Him. Where the rubber meets the road, that's where he wants to see a faith in action. 
Jonah eventually got to the place of trust. Uh, He comes to the end of himself for the first time in the belly of the fish. And in his distress, he cries out to the Lord. I mean, how many of us have been there? Maybe figuratively in the belly of a fish and we're desperate and we just cry out to God, Lord, where are you? I need your help. And God was faithful to answer him. And so, it's entirely possible, isn't it? Entirely possible that God, who directed Jonah's life through calamity and crisis, might be doing the very same thing for you. Like today. God may be redirecting and reshaping and rebuilding or calling you to something new and different. It could be that God's at work in the midst of your crisis. Another concept from Jonah's educational experience. Hmm. I'm going to have to buy Stephanie a new one. God's love is extraordinary. Jonah chapter 2 verse 3. He says, you cast me into the deep, into the heart of the seas, and the floods surrounded me. All your waves and your billows passed over me. And then I said, I'm driven away from your sight, yet I shall look again upon your holy temple. The waters closed in over me to take my life. The deep surrounded me. Weeds were wrapped about my head at the roots of the mountains. I went down to the land whose bars closed upon me forever. Yet you brought up my life from the pit, O Lord, my God. Very descriptive language. But wait a second. Wasn't it the sailors that cast him into the sea? The sailors were the ones, the mariners, as the English Standard Version says. The mariners were the ones that that threw him overboard, right? And yet, verse 3 in, in chapter 2 says, God, he attributes the action to God when you cast me into the deep, into the heart of the sea. So once again, this major theme, one of the major themes of, of Jonah is the sovereignty of God. So once again, we see the sovereign action, the sovereign plan of God over every detail, even in the midst of Jonah. I mean, what kind of God would go to such extremes with people? What kind of God would, would, would go to all of that trouble? I mean, why not just forget about Jonah? He's a disobedient, rebellious, uh, wayward prophet. Why not just leave him in the belly of the fish and forget about it? Just forget about it. Why not? Well, because God is a God of love. And His love is extraordinary. God called Jonah to go to Nineveh and preach the gospel to the Ninevites, the Assyrians. Go to Nineveh. And instead, Jonah jumps on board a ship going to Tarshish. So Jonah puts 2,500 miles between God's call and his own selfish desires. He's going in the opposite direction. Is there any reason under heaven and earth why God should listen to a man like that, even in the belly of a fish when he prays? Is there any reason at all? I mean, from from where I stand, from my perspective in reading the Scriptures, there is only one reason why God would listen to a, a guy like that, a prophet, a disobedient, wayward, rebellious prophet, and that's the love of God. Because God is love. And His character didn't change from the Old Testament to the New. 
There's no reason except for the love of God. And you look at verses like John 3.16, For God so loved the world that He gave His only Son, so that whoever believes in Him shall not perish but have eternal life. God loves us, and it's an extraordinary kind of love, a kind of love that's a sacrificial love that sends your one and only Son to die on the cross to pay for the sins of people who are disobedient and rebellious and self-centered. It's extraordinary love. In this is love, not that we have loved God, but that He loved us, and He sent His Son to be the propitiation, to be the payment for our sins. Extraordinary love. And listen to Jonah again in Jonah 2.4. Then I said, I'm driven away from your sight, yet, implied, because of your great love, I shall again look upon your holy temple. Why? Because I'll be there. I'll look upon your holy temple yet again, Lord, because you love me and I know that, that I have a future. Verses 5 and 6. The waters closed in over me to take my life. The deep surrounded me. I went down to the land whose bars closed upon me forever. <laughs> he, thought he, was, he thought he was finished. Yet, because of your amazing love, you brought up my life from the pit, O Lord God. So why did God rescue Jonah? By sending a great fish to swallow him up so that we'd have a really great dramatic story for kids in Sunday school. No, it's because of God's extraordinary love surrounding Jonah, supernatural love, and also because God was providing an Old Testament picture of his plan for the future. Because Jesus also went down into the land of death. And the bars of death closed over Jesus also, yet the Father raised him up on the third day according to the Scriptures. And that too was a result of the extraordinary love of God. God's, God the Father's extraordinary love for his Son and for his people. Jonah points us to Jesus. Do you see that? Jonah in the belly of a fish for parts of three days and three nights, points to Jesus who was buried, died and buried for three days in the grave. So Jonah, God's love for Jonah and God's love for Jesus and God's love for us is unbounded, unfettered, unconditional, unlimited. And you know our lives are a continuous cycle of loving and learning, rebelling and repenting, failing and forgiving, but every time we mess up, every time we fail, and every time we, we come to our senses and, and repent and confess our sin to God, He's standing there with a smile on His face and a beautiful robe and a, the ring of the Father ready to say, welcome home. Welcome home. That's extraordinary love, isn't it? <laughs> you bet it is. <laughs> Another principle that arises out of Jonah chapter 2. Disobedience cannot overthrow the will of God. Jonah disobeyed God's call, right? Jonah was defiant and rebellious. Got swallowed up by a fish. End of story, right? <laughs> well, you'd think so. I mean, if all we had was Jonah chapter 1, you'd think, the guy is done. He got swallowed up by this great big fish. He's, he's finished. 
Well, it's not the end of the story. God does not and will not allow one bad decision or a stupid mistake or a bad choice to ruin His sovereign plan for our lives and for the church. I mean, just look at the gathering. That's evidence enough that God is not going to let mankind determine what will happen in His church. A lot of men and women have really dark holes in their past, and yet they've been used by God. So Jonah makes a, a bad decision, heads for Tarshish instead of going to Nineveh, and obeying God and going to Nineveh, he, he runs as fast as he can to Tarshish. Stupid mistake. Dumb decision, Jonah. But God's will was not thwarted. A lot of men and women, just like Jonah, have, have made really silly mistakes in the past. A lot of people have really dark holes in their past, and yet God used them. With Moses, it was murder. With Elijah, it was clinical depression. I mean, he probably would have been hospitalized had there been such a thing. With Peter, it was public denial. Not once, not twice, but three times. Are you kidding me? With Samson, it was recurring lust. The guy had a problem. With Thomas, it was cynical doubting. I can relate. With Jacob, it was deception. With Rahab, <gasps> prostitution. And yet she figures into the lineage and the genealogy of Jesus Christ himself. So some of us have grown up thinking that one bad mistake, one stupid choice, one dumb thing puts us on the shelf forever. God can never use us again. That is not true. It's not true. And none of these people had lily white track records. Neither do we. But God used them to advance his kingdom, and God will use us too. Jonah said in verse 7, when my life was fainting away, how many of us have felt that? I remembered the Lord, and my prayer came to you into your holy temple. Listen, if you feel like your spiritual life is fainting away because of something you did or something that you said or the places that you went or the people that you were with, then remember the Lord. Remember the Lord. And that doesn't mean just think about the Lord. That re Remember the Lord and take the necessary action that needs to be taken. Confess your sins. Repent. Turn the other way. Get rid of that. Run away from youthful lust. Whatever it takes to get back to God, do it. Remember the Lord. Remember Him and trust Him. Get right with Jesus because God can rebuild your life and God can restore your life. That's what He does. He's a master craftsman who can take up all the broken pieces of our lives and make something, remake something that is even more beautiful than the original. That's what He does. He's a master craftsman. And all we have to do is bring Him the broken pieces. And oh, heaven knows how many broken pieces we have in our lives. I got lots of that. I can bring the broken pieces over and over again and and I watch God make a beautiful thing out of the brokenness. Here we are. A beautiful thing that's come out of such brokenness. Here's another encouraging principle. God delights to deliver His people from impossible situations. I mean, seriously, being trapped inside of a fish for three days and three nights, that sounds pretty like a pretty impossible situation, doesn't it? <laughs> Uh, even after Jonah gets right with God, praise in chapter 2, there's a sense that, okay, he's, he's, he's making amends with the Lord, and he's getting back on track. He's still inside the fish. 
He's still inside the fish. He's still stuck. He can't pray his way out. He can't give his way out. He can't serve his way out. He can't maneuver it. He can't manipulate it. can't manage it. He is totally, completely, utterly dependent upon God, and God comes through. What a surprise. God comes through. He works an amazing deliverance. And the Lord spoke to the fish, and it vomited Jonah out upon the dry land. Are you kidding me? I mean, think about this. I know you, some of you have heard it since you were knee-high to a grasshopper in Sunday school, and you, and you got the flannel graph pictures to prove it. But think about that. Come on, is that really, is that really possible? Nine-year-old Danny came racing out of Sunday school class like a wild stallion, his eyes darting everywhere in the foyer, the lobby of the church, looking for his parents. Finally spotted his dad over in the corner, talking to a bunch of his friends, and so he goes up, pulls on his dad's pant leg, and says, Dad, 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 that story about Moses in the Red Sea, amazing! Dad's feeling a little proud at that moment, says, Son, why don't you tell us about it? So Danny begins to tell the story. Well, Dad, the Israelites had got out of Egypt, and but Pharaoh and his army were chasing right behind them, and so the Jews ran as fast as they could until they got to the Red Sea. Moses looked ahead, and he looked behind, and so he got his walkie-talkie, and he, 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 he got a hold of the Israeli Air Force, and they started smart-barming the, the Egyptians and, and the Israeli Navy. They built a pontoon bridge across the Red Sea, and in just a matter of moments, they got across onto dry land. By now, Dad's standing there going, Is that the way, Miss... Lori Robert told you the story in Sunday school? <laughs> and he goes, well, not exactly, Dad, but if I told it to you the way they told it to us, you'd never believe it. <laughs> right? And so now some guy on a ship gets thrown overboard, and he gets swallowed up by a great big fish, and then three days later, he gets vomited onto dry land. So like either the, the coastline was a, an immediate drop-off, and so the, you know, the, the fish could get really, really close to the thing and just, you know, and he's up onto dry land. Not likely. There aren't many places like that in the Middle East, if you know what I mean. And so there he is. Probably, who knows how far from, from the sandy shore, but he's got to be out of ways so that he doesn't get beached, and he's got to... I mean, there's projectile. He's... Boom! And there he is, vomited onto dry land, covered in shrimp cocktail. That's impossible, Right? And then, and then, of course, he, he finally gets cleaned off, and he goes to Nineveh. Finally says, okay, I'm, uh, I got the picture. I got the message. I'm going to Nineveh. He goes to Nineveh, and he preaches the gospel. And 600,000 people get converted. Come on. That sounds like a fairy tale to me. But listen, I am here this morning to say that with God, all things are possible. Amen? Amen? All things are possible with God. Now, you might think it's impossible to forgive somebody who's hurt you so deeply. 
You might think it's impossible for reconciliation to take place in your messed up dysfunctional family. You might think it's impossible for God to use you to build His church because of the things you've done and the places you've been and the people you've slept with. You've resigned yourself maybe to living with a spouse, a husband or wife who just refuses to change at all. Your grades may not be the greatest. Your income might not be adequate. Your talents may be untested. But remember, when God is in control, all things are possible. Say it with me. All things are possible. And furthermore, if God can appoint His one and only Son to come to earth, be born of a virgin, live a sinless life, die upon the cross, be buried, and on the third day come out of the grave alive, then He can perform a miracle in your life or mine. Do you believe this? Then let's act upon it. Let's pray. Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. May your kingdom come. And Lord, may your, may your kingdom thrive among us here at the gathering. So many of us here today find ourselves enrolled in the school of hard knocks, learning all kinds of things from you along the way. The lessons don't come easy. It's not always pleasant. Nor is the path we might choose. But, but Lord, we trust in your sovereign design for the church and for our lives. We know that nothing is impossible with you. And so we simply bring our needs and wants, and desires, and dreams. And we just, we just lay them down at your feet, Lord. Because you are worthy. And because we have no one else to turn to, you are the one who has the words of eternal life. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And Father, as we come to the table of the Lord now, we come in the spirit of, of humility and gratitude, and we pray that the meditations of our hearts would be pleasing to you in every way. Amen and amen.